James. Um, yeah, I think we have, God's given us various opportunities to uh, minister around the world, and um, we thank God for that. Talking to Ken and um, Hannah, who have been to uh, South Africa, where whole generation of men have been wiped away by this disease. And when parents are wiped away, you are left with orphans. And um, the tremendous opportunity, we're praying that God will work. And he has been so blessed by being there. He took his family there for, I think, six weeks and ministered there to the children of that region. And there's a continent that is literally physically and spiritually dying. Entire continent of people just ravaged by civil war, by disease. And it's left, it's scorched where children, orphans, and just people are dying not only physically but spiritually. I think we pray that God would open up opportunities as well as in India. And uh, we're a small church, we have limited resources, and we let's pray what small impact that we could have in um, different parts of the world. Um, I wanted to pick up on what James taught last week on Galatians 2 where we talked about fear of man. I want to pick up on that. And hope you, my hope today, my prayer is that from fear of man, that we end up in Calvary. And that's the only place that this spiritual disease can be dealt with. So will you stand with me, a reading of God's word. Let's turn to John 12. John 12, let's start from verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoken, uh, spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even though authorities believed in him, but fear of the Pharisees that did not confess it, so they would be put out of the synagogue. And they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today uh, with heavy hearts, hearts that are still in bondage of sin, a sin that is depicted in the scriptures in John 12, that we suffer from similar disease where we fear men and not God, and we look for, and, uh, look for approval of man rather than approval of God. Will you help us through your infinite wisdom this morning to bless us, that we would be free from this bondage. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace be seated. You know, one thing I appreciate about men that have gone before us, you know, as I studied this uh, topic this week, I've read through many men, you know, even like Ed Welch, Lou Priolo, and Mark Driscoll, and many different men. Um, I listened to their teachings, let, let, uh, read many articles, I'm thankful because there's so much insight and you can see God working in these people and what they left where you could pick up and just see the insight that was there 
where deep meditation of the scriptures happened and um, and people like us, people like me, could pick that up and learn from it. So I come before you this morning, like I felt like this burden or this bondage has been lifted from me, or I'm better off today than a week ago. I'm less fearful of people. I didn't realize how much I had, and I feel, in a way, released. So this week, I was kind of like on overdrive, where I'm telling a lot of people off at work. I went to Derek's football game. The coaches are making poor decisions. I feel like going down on the field, hey, what are you doing, right? And um, all those things. So I feel like really free than ever before to talk about this and deal with this issue. James mentioned last week, you know, about hypocrites. Hypocrite is someone who puts on a mask, literally, um, in ancient days, and pretends to be someone who she isn't or she isn't, right? Is an actor, right? Is an actor. Well, there's many actors, and we are actors or hypocrites. And we see prime reason, prime thing that you see. In this past Tuesday, I don't know if you voted or not, or you followed any of the campaigns. There were senatorial um, election here. There was gubernatorial election. There's various um, congressional districts and propositions that are gone, right? But that's a classic, I mean, that's how you win elections, by how good of a hypocrite you are, right? You know, even like that whole, the Prop 19, that cannabis bill, right? Like no politician who wants to win an election, unless you're a libertarian, will support that proposition, but that's, a, that's suicide, right? That's suicide. That's one way not to win an election is support that bill. It's still not popular enough. Even California, who's fairly liberal, probably the most liberal state, one of the most liberal states in the union, even Californians are crazy enough to pass that, right? <laughs> they know that still, you don't go that far. So you see, elect, um, elected officials who will campaign as basically hypocrites, right? There's hypocrisy. But why does hypocrisy exist in this world and in our lives? Because fear of man exists in our lives. But, you know, fear of man is a um, characteristic of a fallen creature. Yet, those who have been saved... Those who have forgiveness from God, yet suffer from this spiritual disease. Where others' opinions matter so much. There's even, not only just spiritual spiritual effect, there's emotional, psychological things that happen to them. But the answer is not to get psychological help, not get emotional help even physical help. You need spiritual help by having right theology of God and the love of God. You know, I follow, um, in the last year or so, I've been a, I uh, kept up with Korean pop culture through my kids are all into that. Their iTunes is all Korean songs, right? I know all the groups and like uh, these girl events. I was coming to church and I was critical of how, how girly these girls groups are, <laughs> you know? But you know, there's, it's, Interesting thing. Korea is the, they have more internet users per capita than any other country, any other um, industrialized nation. 82% of the Koreans have internet usage of their entire population. United States has 77%. Korea is number one, next to Norway. Norway is kind of an outlier. They're, 
you know, they give internet for free to everyone. You know, it's like you go to Mountain View where Google has, whole town has Wi-Fi for free because of Google. It's like that. It's a whole country like that. So it's a little bit different there. But Korea is, internet usage is crazy. And people blog and they have what they call netizens who are, they talk about everything. In, in Korean pop culture, these famous celebrities in their prime of their lives have committed suicide in last few years, right? Last few years. They've committed suicide. The reason being is they were so critical through gossip and just false accusations of these netizens. They say things about them and they pick on them and the whole like momentum builds um, through cyberspace and they can't handle it. The opinions of people just become overwhelming. Now, again, they have a emotional and physical reaction to this to the point where they give up their lives. They take their own lives in the prime of their careers. Right? It is so strong. And the opinions matter so much because Korean and Asian culture, it's a lot of shame culture, right? So these, you could be shamed. Now, you, we live in a world where people have power, right? Where do these bloggers come from? Who gave them authority? It's just their opinion. But people follow them, right? And they just have millions of people listening, looking at them. We have a, uh, where Daniel Lee's, um, we are talking about last week, Daniel and Pam Lee, they have a nephew, Carol's brother who comes to our church, Eugene, you know, he has a workout video on YouTube. There's more than 6 million people have viewed him working out, doing a workout. He has 6, 6 million people. I was thinking, man, if I sold them a dollar each of something, I get $6 million, right? All of a sudden, through the internet, these, anybody could become very powerful, right? And these on false accusations or even like gossip, it becomes very powerful. Well, what happens is, that's one thing, but it affects people where opinions matter so much that they get crippled even to the point of taking their own lives. This all comes from fear of man. Fear of man is very powerful. You know, so those of us who suffer from the other disease of machismo, right, where we don't think there's fear of man, eh, I'm gone over that. No, we all suffer from it. Where fear of man is one of those sins, disease, spiritual disease, that is of choice. It's one of the finer things, finer sins we could do because behind sin of man, there's not only fear, there's rebellion, there's pride. I think the worst of sins that exists in man's heart comes out through fear of man. And for Christians, it's doubly so, doubly offensive because this is where God should occupy, right? It cripples us. But then the, another funny thing is, not funny, but a serious thing, but interesting thing is, this sin comes in concentric circles, right? It comes from, there's a fine line between fear and love, right? Is It comes from that usually from those who are closest to you or you love the most, or or they think, or at least you think they love you as well, right? So you could be from your parents, your brothers, your bosses, uh, your elders and pastors, your ministry care group leaders, ministry leaders, your husband, your wife, 
Maybe even your children. Right? Maybe even your children. Right? Because when I when Lindsay and Derek are younger, when for Ella and Nolan, like, you know, they get toys, whatever, they get hand me downs, but you know, we used to buy toys for them. You go to a toy shop and toys are us or something, and and there's usually like Every other time you go, you see this kid just crying or screaming at the top of their lungs because they're not getting what they wanted. They're like moms dragging them to the, to the counter. You guys, many of you have seen this, many of your parents. They're dragging them and they're like resisting and crying. I want this toy. And due to fear of man, the mom will usually acquiesce, even the father. Right? will acquiesce and by, to get them to be quiet in public so they won't be shamed. So in that family you will have a child. They have a fear of little man, maybe, right? But still fear of man, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter what the size of the kid is. But this is, the reality is, it's the battle for the throne, okay? We all have a throne that we sit people, or we ought to sit where, where Christ ought to sit in our lives. There's only one throne. Only one throne exists in our lives. There could be, we cannot serve two masters. Yet, we allow Christ to be removed and to have a person or people sit on that throne. And this is what that battle is. And that's, in essence, what happens when we commit the sin. When we, the opinions and what we, our reaction or our lives are altered or changed because of this fear of reaction or the opinion or thoughts of other men or women who may, what they may think of us. Tim Dwight, a president of Yale during 17th century, said this, No passion of human mind is stronger than this. After it's been sufficiently indulged, it becomes so habitual that it occupies all the energies of the soul, or perhaps more accurately, it becomes all the energies of the soul, transforming the soul's faculties there is no other form of wickedness that becomes more intense. This is an intense sin that cripples people. You know, people don't commit suicide because someone is very um, someone offended, someone you know, left me out of something, or you know, a sin. They're prideful, right? But th- this is there's this innate sin in us that has to be accepted. When John 12 says. To be had to have approval of certain people, it is very strong. And the, the offensive portion is, and that happens, someone else occupies the throne where God ought to occupy the throne. And I didn't realize as much as there's, uh, before studying this, but after studying this, Bible is very strong. The Scripture is clearly evident and how God emphasizes this disease, this sin, and is um, portrayed in the scriptures. We see, let's take some examples of some biblical characters, right? Look at Aaron, Moses' brother. While Moses was up on Sinai, what happens? The pressure comes over, mounting to erect an idol, golden calf, and he acquiesces. He actually plans with them, right, how it should be done. Right? Then there's someone like, I mean, Aaron is a little bit different, but there's Pilate who finds no fault in Christ, yet he hands him over. Then before 
that we see in um, the first king of Israel, Saul, who was told by God to annihilate the Amalekites. Every living thing was to be annihilated. But what does Saul do? He saves some choice livestock so that he could feed his, um, his troops. Well, that was his, at least his excuse or his justification. And there's another factor. There's usually some justification for fear of man. Right? We rationalize it. But we rationalize with God. And the, the interesting thing is, remember, God knows our thoughts. When we rationalize it, when we rationalize sin, it is so much more offensive to God because God knows our thoughts. All right. Lastly, then there's uh, Apostle Peter, who was strong enough when he saw the centurions about to arrest Christ. He stood up, got his pocket knife out, and chopped the ear off of one of the soldiers. Yet, hours later, where he denies Christ three times before the rooster crows. And we see the failures of a lot of people. The reason is, like, like me and you, um, men, through the, because we live in a fallen world, we suffer from being approval junkies. Right? Modern terminology. We're approval junkies. Lou Priola says that he is an approval junkie. And it's, this is now even prevalent in the churches where the gospel is watered down, the preachers won't preach the truth, where the church discipline is in practice because of fear of man. So behind this mask as hypocrites, we are, hypocrites are terrified of people. Are terrified of people. So three important questions this morning I'd like to ask, three questions I'd like to ask is, who's on your throne? Who's on your throne? And then next question is, what are the consequences we'll examine together? And I'll give you the answer. Well, some of the answers is, what are the consequences of putting someone other than Christ on the throne? And number three, this is interesting because there's a, in Luke 12, too, later on you'll see, there's an interesting play even in... Um, John 12, where there's those who are being afraid and those who actually desired to be on the throne, the Pharisees. So the quest, third question is, whose throne are you on? Right. But before that, let's in, discuss the cause and the fear of man, the general topic. Again, like I said, fear of man is, it is contention, for the throne, for the championship, right? And Ed, Wel Ed Welch says in his book, When People Are Big, God is Small, it says, fear in a biblical sense includes being afraid of someone, uh, being afraid of someone in awe, being controlled and mastered by people, worshiping other people, putting trust in people, or need of people. What happens is, what El Ed Welch says is, when we fear people, we're assigning authority to them. So fear of people usually comes in the first place happens is it comes from those in authority. 
right? Those in authority. Positional authority on this earth. They only have positional authority from you, right? Let's say if you work in a boss. You work, you have a boss who is very immoral, he's asking you to do immoral things. If you're an accountant, they ask you to cook the books, right? Falsify financial statements, right? That happens. Well, again, they only have positional authority over you, right? You don't have to do that. You can walk away from that job. But if you're afraid of losing that job, you assign, unintentionally or intentionally, assign that authority to that person on how you're going to live your life. But if you acquiesce, like Aaron does, you take part in that. says later on, fear of man is summarized this way. Say we replace God with people. Instead of biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. And when we were in our teens, it's called peer pressure. And when we are older, it's called people pleasing. And now recently, it's been called codependency. Right? Whatever you want to call it. Even this codependency, this is like the modern psychological term. Codependence. We're supposed to be code. It's to be codependent. But if you depend on them and you have a visceral reaction spiritually and emotionally, it elevates that person to the position of where God ought to be. And they become idols. Because these are all people are man-made. God made them, but they are not God. And they are creatures. They're fallen creatures. They were assigning authority to fallen creatures. You know, I don't remember having fear of man when I was like in kindergarten. Right? I don't remember. But certainly, I think you would have agreed. By the time when you're in middle school, junior high school, you have, it begins. Or at least, it begins by that time. Right? You know, when I was about Lindsay and Derek's age, maybe a little younger in junior high, you know. How many of you are 40 or older? 40 or older? Only James? Okay. okay. There's a few of us. few of us. Okay, James, you're 40. You know, if you remember when I was in junior this is in the 70s, right? This is right after Saturday Night Fever and, right? You know, I had hair back then and we used to carry a comb around. You know, everybody, we had a... With those, the Velcro wallets just came out, and we all carried a small comb around. So our jeans, you would have an imprint of the comb in our jeans. That was kind of cool to do that, right? <laughs> Chip, you remember, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, certain clothes. And this is when Vans first came out, those slip-ons. Those things first came out, right? And they were cool. They were the in thing, right? You know, I, I remember I was... And I'm fairly terrified of not fitting in, right? Not fitting in. I listened to music that I didn't even like to fit in. But I held out for one group. You know, I didn't disclose this to my friends. The original release of YMCA by the Village of People, right? <laughs> I kept that. And I should have kept that. That would have been a collector's item this day. If I kept the, kept the pristine, I had it. I have no idea where that went, but... I kept, you know, all my friends, you would like be a, yeah, you wouldn't fit in um, if you liked them. They, you know, it was other, Led Zeppelin was big, you know, Queen. I like Queen a little bit, but anyway. 
kind of digressing in my nostalgia <laughs> by myself, right? But I desperately wanted to fit in. I just remember being, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be an outcast, right? I needed approval from my friends, my parents, my youth minister, everyone else. I wanted to fit in. I had a need to do this. I was a prisoner in that life, in the sad life. And that just shows you the bondage that we're in, right? The bondage that we're in. You know, in Korean, it's called, um, those of you who know Korean, there's a word called nunchi, right? Nunchi. It's kind of observing people. It could be a positive or negative thing. So if you come home and you're like, wife is tired, you, know, you pick that up. She doesn't have to t- tell you she's tired. Also, you help her out, right? Maybe take care of the kids, maybe make the meal, you know, something, right? You do something. And it's a positive thing. So to, ha- to have that, that's positive. It helps out when you're playing sports to figure out, hey, what the, what the opponent's going to do. Or it's great in like card negotiations or negotiations, period, right? You know what they're up to, you know, you've done your studies, and you could get what you want. Things. But there's a negative side. And I saw this in, um, I have a, uh, we, Sophie and I have an adopted child who we adopted two years ago. She's three now. And when she first came home, like in the home, we're in our family room, maybe watching TV, we would have dessert or something. And there's five of us sitting. Sometimes you see her about 15, 10, 15 feet away, just sitting there. She's a one-year-old child. Sit there. She's not. She's new to our home, and she sits there and watches us and observes us and watches our moves. And she's. I think she's hoping to be invited, and she's just kind of waiting there. She's kind of afraid because of the way I look. <laughs> you know, how would you like to be adopted and like I show up? <laughs> Some of the people I know in the quad, they, they come and they're, they're afraid to make eye contact with me during Sundays. But like, here's a one-year-old child from a whole different country, comes all the way over here, and this guy shows up, and like, I'm in his house. So she's watching me, and I saw, I felt pity for her. I felt really sad because I, whatever I said to her at that moment only has so much effect because it's not real to her. I may tell her I love her, or at least act like and act like I love her. But it's not real yet. It's too new. I think things are different now. The time has um, healed and God has allowed us grace for her to get better and feel like a child, our child. But at that moment, people, even one-year-old child, doesn't can't turn on a switch that quickly. So I felt pity for her. So when I saw that, that's how I think God, or I am that picture of my daughter Ella, in life, when we have fear of man, you and me, we sit there, we're, we're watching people, observing people, watching their reaction, their opinions, what they say to me, what they do to me. It's a pitiful picture. Because, it's more pitiful, because, I'll tell you, we'll talk about it more later on, but, because God tells us that he loves with this perfect love, that we are not in need of anything, Christ is sufficient for us, yet behave that way. 
this desire for approval of man is very strong. They feared in John 12 being cast out of the synagogue. And they basically, what happened was, they put it on a scale. They put these things on scale. One, the praise of man. All right? Praise of man. Considering how good it is to receive their praise and their approval, their opinions and the good opinions about me, and they pay deference to them as they were being commanded by the priests, members of the Sanhedrin. The consequences were, were the, the, the requirement was you can't profess Christ. There's one end of the scale. Another end of the scale is the praise of God, trusting God, and to confess and go against the grain of the ethnic and religious Jews. And skill with the approval of man and approval of God tipped this way. And they made a conscious decision to keep that secret because they were afraid. You know, there's a fine line. I mean, not a fine line, but fear and love are two sides of the same coin. It's basically the same thing. Fear and love. If you fear, you love that or the person. So if you fear man, you actually love them in a wrong way, sinful way. But if you fear God, you love God. It's almost interchangeable. Fear um, Fear leads to love of something. Right? Is it man or man-made things or God? You know, there's nothing wrong with being respectable, good reputation, having good re- reputation in this world. We ought to work hard in our, our given professions and work hard and be respectable, and that probably will give you a platform from the gospel. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Bible encourages that, to have good refute. However, we have to uh, distinguish between the message and the messenger. Right? Jesus told us the world will hate us because of him. Right? The world shouldn't hate us because of what we do. Like because if we are poor workers, lazy, you know, we burn up all our PTO time and like we max out, we go over and we're in debt in PTO and we're, we show up to late work often because we're going to Starbucks getting our cafe mocha. And, you know, and you leave early at, you know, 4.15, you pack your purse and, you know, you're ready to go out the door. Thing It hits 4.30 or 5 o'clock and you're out the door, right? You're a clock watcher. Well, that's poor reputation. That's shame on us, right? But if they condemn us for that, but they, they condemn us for that, we have nothing to say. It's just shame. However, if they criticize us, or they even fire us because of what we believe, because of the gospel. Shame on them. Right? We have done nothing wrong. We have done nothing wrong. I want to go over the characteristics of uh, question number one. Who is on your throne? So who are 
how do you put people on the throne? What are some characteristics of people who have fear of man or people pleasers? People pleasers. Proverbs 29.25 says, Proverbs 29.25 says, Fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The word snare is like a trap, the trap to capture an animal. It's like a noose or like a hook on the uh, end of a um, fishing rod. Number one is that he fears the displeasure of the person more than the displeasures of God. This is a person who thinks like this. What does he think of me? I don't want to reveal too much because uh, their opinions about me will change or they'll like me less. Right. I want to be careful as to what say, I say because I don't want to even get in conflict with him. It's conflict avoidance. That's one. And that number two is he studies others. Just like I said, when I talked about Nunchi, trying to uh, observing people. It's the same thing. Then he's also oversensitive to correction, rebuke, or reproof. Because, you know, if you fear somebody, what they say matters so much, you're hurt, and you're very sensitive. You get angry. Even bitter toward that person. Richard Baxter says, Pride causes men to hate reproof. Again, that pride and fear of man is tied together. Here's a good one. I think it's an important one. He's more concerned with fulfilling his public duties rather than private duties. One of the signs of this is, do you pray more in public, in a public setting, is your prayer life, your frequency of prayer life is more done in church and with other believers rather than you alone with God. Right. Those of us who, I mean, not all of us, but if you love, we love God, when we care about what God is pleased with and we fear God, in our private life, it's sweet. It's not only done in public it's behind worshiping God behind closed doors. He prays not only for himself, he prays for others. He meditates upon scripture. He gives to the church only where God knows. and gives others and supports them and loves them where others can't see. He or she is more concerned with that. Now I'll lead that to to the, I'll address to the leaders, particularly church leaders. How can we lead if we have fear of man? Right? How can a Christian leader, pastor, now to teach if he's afraid of people what they'll think because we won't speak the whole truth? How can we shepherd others as under-shepherds when the chief shepherd is removed from our throne and someone else's, a person, is sitting on that? So the application is for us as leaders who are in a position of authority, spiritual authority, spiritual position of teaching, we need God's influence in our sphere of influence for us to love people, not fear them.
And question number three is, who causes those fears? Who is on, whose throne are you on? Right? You know, there's in John 12, there's people, there's a, they're, they're Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? Do we, are, you, are we acting like the Pharisees? Or are we being oppressive? Unintentionally, unintentionally. Putting people in fear. These are, I think, Mark, what Mark Driscoll calls them, are spiritual bullies. Right? They see bullies on the playground. They want to enforce their will on others and get them to do what they want to do. Right? They put themselves on the throne. They have their own agenda. Like the Pharisees, they have some position of power, authority. That's not necessarily given by anyone, but they find it. Like the Pharisees, they have an academic pedigree. They have ethnic pride, strong sense of ethnic pride and tradition. They oppress people with these things. There usually comes with that, behind all that, there's threat of some type of punishment or consequence, or withhold love or reward. And they'd like to tell you about all the faults you have and the mistakes you have made to others. And you'd like sharing that to continue with the position of authority. That's not necessarily given by anybody, but to maintain what is perceived. They push their agenda, wear people down. They like to be the center and the rule maker of all those people in their sphere of influence. Again, like I said before, usually it could be people that could be your boss, or unless you're the boss, even elders and pastors, teachers, parents, and even children. So what happens when this happens? How do you know here are some symptoms. How do you know if you're on somebody's throne? Or you're being oppressive? Is one, people won't speak the truth to you. Which shows you they don't really love you, they're just fearful of you. Number two, type that is they won't point out sin, uh, sins in your life. So if the husband and wife, you know, husband and wife, my wife and I, this is our 20th year. Okay, whether you've been married one month, one year, five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25, even more, whatever, right? We're all sinners. But sooner or later, the husband and wife will confront sins in their lives. And it's a good thing because we have them. But if you don't confront, there's no confrontation of anything. We're, they're both pretending like, Sin doesn't exist in one another's lives. That's absolutely untrue. Unless you're Christ. Right? Last time I checked, Christ is not in the membership of this church. He's the head of this church. Right? So confrontations will happen. Speaking the truth will happen. They'll point out your sins. Another symptom is it irks you when people don't take your counsel. Or they, it kind of bothers you. Makes you maybe angry when people don't listen to you. Right? 
That happens with me and my children all the time. Like sometimes they just don't listen. Lindsay's supposed to do her college, college applications and send her scholarship stuff. She's kind of slow on that, that kind of stuff. So I get on her case. I'm not saying, I'm just making an example. <laughs> I probably won't be happy she's going to take our driving test tomorrow. And she fails again, I'm going to tell her why she failed. <laughs> and she's going to be in fear. Oh, what is daddy going to do if I fail this test? Yeah, you mean she might get an earful. I impose that, right? right? But we impose that on one another. Lastly, last symptom is, do you like credit? You take credit for the success in other people. Why oh, did this or that person is succeeding or flourishing? I laid the path for that. Right? And you like to hear that from that person or the others instead of crediting God for what's going on in their lives. So the answer to all this is fear God or love of God. Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is beginning of knowledge. Fear of God is the fountain of all holiness which should delight us. Because sinful lusts will lose their potency when we understand the holiness and the love of God. The fears of, that we have for man will be loosened and the bondage, the chains will be broken. A.W. Tozer said, Christ can never be known without the sense of awe and fear of accompanying knowledge. And R.C. Sproul adds to this, say, we are called to fear God. And Luther described that fear not as a servile fear, but a, not that of a tortured a torture prisoner of the tormentor, but the filial love, a filial fear, like a parent to a child, similar to that which we have between a parent and his loving child. You know, Luke 12:4 says, if, you t- if I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who will kill your body. After they have nothing more that they could do, but I warn you whom to fear. Fear him after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. To overcome bullies, overcome, to overcome fear of man, we have to be willing to, and be ready to suffer. To fear God, we have to be willing to suffer as Christians. They may sue you. They may fire you. They may even divorce you. They may leave your home and hurt you. They may destroy your reputation. They may remove you from family, your family. And they may even kill you. But willing to do that because we really fear God and we love God. But here's also the promise. Passage right after that. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them forgotten before God? Why even the hairs on your head are all numbered? Fear not. You are more value. You are more value than any sparrow. overcome bullies, overcome spiritual bullies, and overcome the fear of man, know that God loves you. That is the antidote. There's not a five-step program that I could give you. I could only point you to the answer. The answer is the gospel. 
we, when we meditate upon our justification that saved us, when we meditate upon the cross at Calvary, when we go to Calvary each day as we awake and fear Him and love Him who is hung there on that tree, we could fear Him and the fear of man will dissipate and will be gone. In verse 8 of Luke 12, it says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, and such a man will acknowledge it before the angels of God. It says, this starts with the heart. We need a heart that fears God and loves God. God loves us with the perfect love. First John 4.17 But this love perfected with us, so that we may have the confidence for the day of judgment because he is also, are we in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For the fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. That's the reason. That's the antidote. That's the answer for us to be free from this bondage of fear. Is to know that he loved us and he, that perfect love has casted us from that fear of man. So there's no longer are we driven by terror of, of others, but we delight or we're driven by the love of God. Because the very blanket that was provided through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ helps us to overcome this bondage and the sin. So what I'm, as my final thoughts, what I'm, I can't give you a program, right? I can't tell you to do this. And I'm not looking for behavior modification. Like as I raise my children, I just discipline them, just beat them to a pulp so they would obey. Yeah, they may behave because they don't want to get beat up anymore or they just don't want to get disciplined anymore. They would, that only goes so far. It don't, it don't lead them to anger. What I have to do is I must shepherd them and ultimately where I have to end up in those discipline sessions is Calvary. So answer is the same here. Not to change our behavior, right? But change our heart that will in turn change our behavior. It is by trusting in the gospel, understanding God's grace, is not not facing troubles or not facing suffering. There will be suffering if we stand up to people. But ultimately, Calvary will set us free. First John 4.18 There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And Tim Keller said this. I, this is where we all end up at Calvary. It says, Key to removing your idols is taking your sins to Calvary, not to Sinai. When you take your sins to Sinai, you're taking a legalistic means. Okay, I'm not going to do this. I won't do this. That only lasts so long. That's a temporary relief to a problem. Long-term relief, or the final relief, final bondage that will loosen the chains, is Calvary. It's to understand the love of God. When you look at the cross, we see love of God. It is blazing center of God's glory. 
And through Calvary, we've been to no, uh, we, we could begin to no longer love others, or I mean, fear others, but we could also love others by loving God and hating the sin that goes along with loving others and fearing others. So the question is, who's sitting at your throne today? Is it Jesus or is it someone else? Now, how do we remove that other person or that fear? Is to remember Calvary. Remember our salvation. Remember our justification. And meditate upon God's grace that was already perfected in Christ. When Christ said it was complete, it was complete. All your sins have been dealt with and done away with. The sins you committed in the past, what you're doing now, or even in the future. It's done. And we have freedom from these sins because the very sacrifice that our Lord paid on the cross. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your abundant, endless, perfect love for us. And all we could do to fight this sin of fear, man, is to realize what we have been already been graced with, endowed with, the love of God, forgiveness that comes from Calvary, and the truth that was displayed, that God loves us perfectly. May that hope be instilled and to flourish in our hearts, that we go from this place, willing to face this world, and whatever the consequences, to exalt you and put you on the throne each day of our lives. Will you grant us grace to fight our shortcomings by trusting in the grace that provided by you? We thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.